Pearl Church exists to express a sacred story and to extend a common table that animate life by love. A primary expression of our sacred story is the weekly sermon. If our sermons inspire you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully, would you consider supporting our work? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story. God, may we turn our attention to all that is beautiful and good and true. And in so doing, may we find that we are giving our attention to you. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we are now fully into the season of ordinary time, this stretch of the church calendar between the end of the Eastertide season and the start of a new church calendar year with Advent. And while the name ordinary time actually comes from the fact that these weeks are numbered, ordinal, ordinary, our more common use of the word ordinary fits well too, right? This is the time of the year where there's no big celebrations like Christmas or Easter. It's just time for the daily. One of my goals in our sermon series this past four weeks has been for us to see that in our ordinary daily lives, We are already living with the sacred. So often, I think, you know, we read books or we listen to a TED Talk or a podcast or we go to church and we're told that we are not yet doing enough, right? There's just one more practice we should be doing or there's one more book we should read or there's one more retreat we should go to and then that would really pull everything together for us. Now, there are many books and practices and classes and retreats that can be very helpful to us. That's true. But I think the more sustainable work for us is for us to come to see our ordinary lives as already full of God's presence and goodness, rather than our having to do a bunch more. We've talked in the last three weeks about our ordinary hours of rest, our hours of work, and our hours of eating together. And these are deeply sacred. But it's also true that the ordinary can become mindless, right? It can become rote. Just because we sleep and work and eat together doesn't mean we always notice the sacredness, right? And while that doesn't cause God to pull away from us or make our lives any less full of meaning, it can mean that we become numb to what is around us. Uh, the, The poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning wrote these lovely lines. Earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God. But only they who see take off their shoes. The rest sit around and pluck back blackberries. This is where our hours of spirituality come in. By helping us to awaken to what is, what already is in our lives. By helping us to see the sacredness in our ordinary lives. This morning's reading from 1 Kings is, I think, a really beautiful image of this. Uh, The prophet Elijah is in exile, and he is feeling abandoned by God. And he goes out into the wilderness in search uh, uh, with questions and longing for the presence of God. And he's told, go up on this mountain because God is going to pass by. 
And the passage says, there was a great wind so strong it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of sheer silence. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. The approach of the divine in our lives is quiet and gentle, like the sound of sheer silence, never demanding. Our spiritual practices can help us to quiet down and to pay attention. In the 6th century, Benedict of Nursia founded a monastic order, uh, which became the Benedictine Order, which continues to this day. And he wrote a rule of life. And this rule has been the primary document for Western monasticism for the last 1,500 years. And the first root word of the rule is, listen. Listen, my child. Many commentators point out that this one word, listen, could sum up Benedictine teaching entirely. Listen. Listen to your life. If we say that all spiritual practice is about helping us to listen so we can hear our God who comes like the sound of sheer silence, or to look so we can see the blackberry bush is aflame with the presence of God, then we are also saying that one of our primary struggles as humans is our tendency not to listen, our tendency not to look at anything outside our own selves. For the past, past 15 years or so, I've had this practice every day. I start my day. Well, the first thing I do is I let the dog out. And then the second thing I do is I brew coffee because coffee. And then the third thing I do is I sit and I have a liturgy of morning prayer. And uh, this is this ancient liturgy of reading some psalms, reading some passages, these prayers that have been said by faithful Christians throughout ages. And I really love that, that ancientness of it. So I sit down, I've got my coffee, and the dog has gone to the bathroom, and I've got my prayer book, and I'm ready to go. And I'll tell you, after all these years, it is hard to pay attention to the words. Nearly every day, nearly every day, I will find that I've gone through with a psalm, and I have read it aloud, and I have not thought about a single word of the psalm, right? It just, just said it. I'm engrossed. My mind, it's amazing to me that we can do this, right? You can read something aloud while you think about, now what do I have to do today? Oh, I need to go to the grocery store. And oh, I need to, gosh, I need to call my mom, right? And meanwhile, you're doing something spiritual <laughs> at the same time. That kind of preoccupation or distraction from what's in front of us is what the philosopher and novelist Iris Murdoch calls muddle. I love that word, muddle. The common state of being preoccupied with our own worries, our own anxieties, our own fantasies, our own judgments, so that we fail to be present to reality around us. Murdoch writes, we are anxiety-ridden animals. Our minds are continually active, fabricating an anxious, usually self-preoccupied, often falsifying veil, which partially conceals the world. Muddle. After sharing a presentation at work, someone makes an offhand comment which you take as a slight against your capability. Brooding, rationalizing, imagining getting evil. Evil, well, that's it. Even. 
which is evil, I guess, now occupies your mind for the whole commute home and clouds over your dinner table, right? You can't see anything. You're just brooding. Muddle. You go for a walk to enjoy nature, but the entire time you're just fully absorbed in your to-do list, and you don't even really see the trees or the river or the birds or the clouds in the sky, and you only really notice it when you get back to the car. Muddle. You're at a friend's house, but then you say something which makes you feel very self-conscious. Why did I say that? And the rest of the night, you are trapped in your own head, thinking about how they are thinking about you. If you've ever tried any meditation practices where you sit quietly, then you surely have encountered this endlessly chattering self, which just demands on inserting itself between you and the world so that you just can't be present. And so we have hours of rest and hours of work and hours of being together over our tables during which we are so often cut off by our preoccupation with ourselves. This is what I think spirituality helps us address. We think that our lives are too ordinary and that we need spiritual activities to bring the divine down into our lives. But really, our lives are holy and we need practice to be present to them, to awaken to the sacredness in our lives as they already are. This is why Iris Murdoch writes, it is a task to come to see the world as it is. It's a task. And the great writer Annie Diller, Dillard says, the secret of seeing is the pearl of great price. Well, what then can get us out of our own way? What all of the disciplines, what all the spiritual practices we might find, whether it's going to church, reading your Bible, prayer, anything, it all aims at increasing our capacity for attention. Attention. So we've got muddle, and on the other side, in contrast, we have attention. And this is a word I'm taking from the French mystic Simone Weil. Uh, she uses this word in a very special sense to describe our ability to see things as they are, not as we wish they were. To quiet down our chatter and receive our world as it is without imposing our will and without interjecting our commentary. Just to be present. Attention is the opposite, then, of muddle. If muddle is being trapped within our own self-preoccupied chatter, then attention is quieting down so we can listen and we can look at what is not us. Now, sometimes we get popped out of our muddle by beauty or goodness that surprises us into awareness. Like when you open the door in the morning and you're greeted by the pinks and the oranges and the purples and the golds of a glorious sunrise and you just sunrise. And you're not thinking about your day anymore. You're transfixed. Iris Murdoch gives an example of this. I'm looking out of my window in an anxious and resentful state of mind, oblivious of my surroundings, brooding perhaps on some damage done to my prestige. Then suddenly, I observe a hovering eagle. In a moment, everything is altered. The brooding self with its vanity has disappeared. There is now nothing but eagle. But she continues, this is something, right? This can happen kind of out of the blue, but it's something that we may also do deliberately. Give our attention to nature or other beauty in order to clear our minds of selfish care. Okay, so let's take, try an experiment. 
Okay, we're gonna do. We're gonna do. This is the lab portion of today's sermon. Okay, uh, right now I would like all of us to look around the room. You don't have to get up. Just stay where you are. But look around the room and try to notice three things in this room or through these windows that you have never noticed before. Okay, I'm gonna give you a moment. Just try to find three things that you have not noticed before in this space. Okay. All right. So once you have them. I want you to turn to a person next to you and share what you noticed. And if you're an introvert and you're new with us, don't worry. This is not a thing we do very often. Okay? So just share, share some of the things you saw with people next to you. I'll give you a second. This is fun. <laughs> Such a simple little practice, right? But doesn't this enliven us? To the space. I mean, suddenly you're looking around with new eyes. You're paying attention. You're looking. You had to open up to be available, to be present to this room in a way you may not have been before. And in that little gesture, you practiced attention. You see, practicing attention, uh, this doesn't have to be complicated. In fact, and this is a crucial point I want to make this morning, you are already doing many things in your life that are wonderful opportunities for growing your capacity to be present and attentive, to help you to look and to listen. And these activities are wonderful places to grow your capacity to attend to the sacred in your life. We don't have to manufacture opportunities for attention by taking up new spiritual practices or going off on retreat somewhere. Wonderful opportunities for attention are already all around us. Let's look at a few examples. Uh, first off, I'm going to start someplace I would not ordinarily choose, which is mathematics. Simone Weil starts here. She develops this idea of attention in this essay she wrote. Uh, she was asked to write for this girls' school in France about studies and spirituality. And she zoomed in on all things on geometry. Speaking to those who may not feel like they're good at math, people like me, she says, if we have no aptitude or natural taste for geometry, this does not mean that our faculty for attention will not be developed by wrestling with a problem or studying a theorem. On contrary, it's almost an advantage. And this, I think, is lovely. Never in any case whatsoever is a genuine effort of the attention wasted. You see, if we sit patiently with a math problem, not trying to rush to a solution, but really trying to understand, even if we don't succeed, we've been exercising our muscles for paying attention. Without our knowing or feeling it, she writes, this apparently barren effort has brought more light into the soul. Right? What's happening to us is that we are confronted by a reality that is not us and which we must respect uh, despite my efforts when I was in math, the, the laws of mathematics aren't going to change just because you don't want to be bothered to learn them, right? Like, they're there. And so we pay attention. There's a way that numbers and logic work, and the way forward is to learn that order, to take it in, to be present to the, that reality and not our inner dialogue. Okay, so mathematics. What about nature? We've already seen nature as an object of attention, Murdoch being surprised by an eagle. But I think it bears exploring a little further because nature is a wonderful teacher of attention because it's a constant source of wonder which takes us out of ourselves. 
Annie Dillard writes about this in her book, Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, which I highly recommend as just a, a wonderful picture of how nature can bring us out of ourselves. Lovely book. She writes, about five years ago, I saw a mockingbird make a straight vertical descent from the roof gutter of a four-story building. The mockingbird took a single step into the air and dropped. His wings were still folded against his side. He was singing from a... Oh, sorry. His, his wings were still forded against his side as if he were singing from a limb and not falling, accelerating 32 feet per second per second through empty air. Just a breath before he would have been dashed to the ground, he unfurled his wings with exact, deliberate care, revealing the broad bars of white, spread his elegant white-banded tail, and so floated onto the grass. The fact of his free fall was like the old philosophical conundrum about the tree that falls in the forest. The answer must be, I think, that beauty and grace are performed whether or not we will see them. The least we can try to do is be there. The least we can try to do is be there. Trying to be there is another way of saying we can pay attention. We can pay attention to nature, and in so doing, we can learn to quiet down our wishes, our preferences, our fantasies, our anxieties, so that we can simply observe what is around us. Another example of attention which Iris Murdoch uses is learning a language. Learning a language. This one's close to home to me. My husband is a mild Duolingo addict. Uh, during COVID, he finished all of their Spanish curriculum. The whole thing. He got to the end, and then they built out like another 25 units, and he was really mad. Uh, I constantly hear him on the, in the other room, you know, like, ding, me gustaría comprar un boleto. You know, like, <laughs> it's always going on. According to Murdoch, language learning is a perfect practice for attention. She writes, if I'm learning, for example, Russian, I'm confronted by an authoritative structure which commands my respect. The task is difficult. The goal is distant and perhaps never fully attainable. My work is a progressive revelation of something which exists independently of me. Attention is rewarded by a knowledge of reality. Love of Russian leads me away from myself towards something alien to me, something my consciousness cannot take over, swallow up, or make unreal. I love that. Attention is rewarded by a knowledge of reality. See, what we're getting at in all practices of attention is coming to see things as they are and to love them, to be with our world, to be intrigued, to be curious. And these are states of being which snap us out of our self-preoccupation so that we are here in the room with those around us. Whether you're baking a cake, rebuilding a car engine, repotting a house plant, practicing scales on the piano, running drills on the soccer field, studying physics, learning to code, or searching for just the right word for your poem, in all these activities, and many more, you are drawing on your capacity for attention, your ability to be present to what is not you, to step outside your anxieties and preoccupations and judgments and to engage with reality. In her essay about the studies for French girls' schools, Simone Weil draws tightly the connection between our activities of paying attention and our life to God. She writes, the key to a Christian conception of studies is the realization that prayer consists 
of attention. Prayer is the orientation of all the attention of which the soul is capable to God. Another way of saying this is, as we hone our ability to set aside our preoccupations and be present with reality in all the many things we do in our lives, we are growing our ability to be present to God. Now there was a great wind so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. In all our many practices of attention, we are learning to sit with that silence. I think many of us have learned prayer primarily as a way of talking to God about things that we need. And there is, of course, a very meaningful place for this. But that can feel lopsided, as if the sum of our relationship to God is just, you know, like talking to God. I mean, imagine being with your friends and just talking to them about your feelings, hopes, dreams, and needs without ever listening to them. What we mostly have not been taught about prayer is a way of quieting down and waiting for God. Prayer as a way of turning our attention to the source of our being. Prayer as being with God in the middle of our life. And Paul writes in Philippians 4, Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence and anything worthy of praise, think about these things. In other words, pay attention to what's good. Learn to be present to these things because in so doing, you are practicing being present to God who is the source of all that is good. As we move into summer together, into ordinary time, my hope for us is that we know that spiritual life is not complicated. It is not mainly about knowing complicated theology or engaging in difficult or time-consuming practices. Spiritual life is mainly about paying attention to the goodness and the sacredness of our ordinary lives and seeing God there with us. It's about coming to know that when we're resting, we're with God. When we work, we're with God. And when we eat together, we're with God. And learning to listen and to see and to know this, well, that's the work of attention. And even that isn't complicated because our normal and daily worlds are full of opportunities to listen and to look and to pay attention. May we find ways in our normal daily lives to practice quieting down, to set aside our all-too-constant inner chatter about our fears and anxieties and judgments and our to-do lists, and just, just to be present to what we're doing, be present to a poem or a flower or a friend, and in so doing, may we learn more and more to be present to the divine who is always with us like a quiet, still whisper. Earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit round and pick blackberries. May we take off our shoes and see the holy around us every day. Let's pray.
divine love, may we more and more pay attention to you. May we pay attention to what's beautiful and what's good and what's true in our daily lives and learn to see that you are there with us. We hope that this sermon inspired you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully. If you don't already support our work, will you begin today? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story.